podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Chairman Mao, Jamie Howe, Ho Chi Minh, Asif Din, Vaslav Havel, Graham Saville, No Surrender, Percy Fender, Guerrilla Crickets. A very warm welcome indeed to this Guerrilla Cricket podcast. And this one's a special one uh, because I have as my guest, Daniel Newman from uh, JDRF. Uh, and uh, Hello, Daniel. Very, very warm welcome to Guerrilla Cricket. Thank you. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you uh, with us. Um, you may know, if you're a regular follower or listener of the show, um, that during these crazy lockdown times, we have been uh, taking part and broadcasting the Dickwell Abroad Alzac Trophy um, and uh, it's got to an incredibly exciting stage. We're through to the uh, the final. Uh, and I'm also, uh, in the most modest way possible, delighted to say that my team, based on pure skill, obviously in a dice rolling game, uh, are in the final on Sunday. It will be on Sunday. It will be on Sunday, this Sunday, UK time at uh, 1 p.m. Uh, and I will be playing Hendo's, uh, Nigel Henderson's, um, Fat Lot of Use 11. And we've battled our way through from various groups. But the reason we have been playing this and the reason that we have been asking for donations is that we are partnered through the tournament with JDRF, the uh, charity focused on prevention uh, research cure for type 1 diabetes. Uh, You have been very generous to donate uh, money to us. We'd love more and hopefully this little chat with Daniel will help to explain why uh, why that is the case. So Daniel, as I say, welcome. Um, perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your own journey in, in you know, with type one diabetes. Yeah, sure. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has donated to JDRF already. Uh, we really do appreciate that. And just in terms of me and my life with type one diabetes, so I was diagnosed at the age of 10 years old in 1996, and I've been living with type one diabetes for nearly 24 years. Uh, during that time, I've seen a lot of changes when it comes to technology from when I was first diagnosed to where we are now, which is, which is great. But personally, my journey with type one diabetes has been very up and down. My, I had a particularly difficult period during my teenage years going into my early 20s. And when you're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, you're almost going through the five stages of grief and you're learning to reach that acceptance point. And those years for me was, was, was really about denial and it took me a long time to accept my type 1 diabetes. And sometimes what people who aren't living with the condition might not understand is actually the mental, physical and emotional toll the condition has on you as an individual living with it. You, your your family and your friends around you, on paper, it's very simple. You eat, you give yourself an injection of insulin and everything should work out fine. But in reality, it's completely different. There are so many things that can affect your, your blood sugar levels and these are all things that you have to take into consideration and each day with type 1 diabetes is different 
you can do the same thing twice and get two completely different outcomes. And just going back to my journey. So once I got through those difficult years and I'm in a much better place now, but I'm I have experienced the consequences of not properly looking after myself when it comes to living with type one diabetes. So I'm sure people might or may not be aware, but the condition does come with a number of complications as well. If you aren't able to manage your blood sugar levels as, as best as, as you can. And so I am living with complications. So I was in 2013, I was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. And in April 2018, I had a kidney transplant. It's wow. very, very likely that, that that was due to type 1 diabetes and the complication of that. And they also live with diabetic retinopathy as well. So the, with that, it's where there are blood vessels, abnormal blood vessels growing in the back of my eyes, and that can affect my sight and um, my sight, my vision. And I've had to have, and my course of treatment has been having to have laser surgery, and I had a bleed in one eye. So the treatment for that was actually going having an operation to remove the bleed and remove the jelly from my eye. So type 1 diabetes is a very, very serious condition. And I know that because I've lived with it. And hopefully I've been able to explain shortly how my journey, I've been able to explain my journey with you, it just to highlight the condition. It emotionally and effectively uh, Daniel let's just um, let's just put uh, a little bit of context here because yeah. um, we you know I, I share it vicariously <laughs> as it were due to to my son being uh, diagnosed with type 1 one of the things I remember most was the the moment of diagnosis and just the trauma around that um, as a parent tell me a little bit about you know without without you know, trying to drag you back to, to just, just the, the, you know, the time when you, 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 you know, diabetes, type 1 diabetes presented itself to you and, and just how you felt at that point as a, as a, as a young and I guess. So, <coughs> sorry. sorry. So, um, I, so, yeah, as I said, I was 10 years old. I remember the day leading up to diagnosis. So my aunt took myself and my cousins to the cinema. Mm -hmm. I was really unwell. Um, but it was also, it was during the summer. So I was drinking a lot, but because it was hot, no one thought anything of it because it was hot and you just drink a lot. And so going back to after the cinema, I was unwell, went home. I was still unwell. My mum called the emergency doctor who came around quite late in the night and said, you need to take him to accident and emergency now. Went to A&E, was there for hours not really knowing what was going on, but understanding something wasn't quite right. And, and I remember the doctor saying to me, you've got diabetes. And I remember that moment, but I don't really remember the, I, 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 at that age, I didn't understand the significance of that moment because I was only 10 years old. And you understand that being in hospitals, you're, you're not well and something's wrong. But it was only the years afterwards, particularly going back into school. I was going into my last year of primary school and then moving to secondary school. 
and navigating those years that has been really that that's when it kind of it hit me and I was like oh wow this is really this is big this is major I, I understand that now that's just as again just a little bit of context I think in the UK as a whole there's something like four and a half million people have diabetes but only eight percent of those uh, are type one and type one of course is is not lifestyle based <laughs> it's not something you get obviously when you when you when you when you're older it 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 it, it it just happens to you. There is no, there's no, there's no medical thing that that will prompt it. Obviously, what actually happens is is your pancreas doesn't work. It stops producing insulin, and that uh, stops your blood absorbing absorbing glucose, which is why when that gets out of balance, your your whole life can go out of balance. But a lot of people yeah. don't necessarily actually understand that clear distinction between uh, type 2 and type 1. So type 1 affects about 8% of all people with diabetes. That would make still in the UK about 370,000 odd, I think, if I'm right. Yeah, about people 370 like to, yeah, 370 to, I think, maybe up to 400,000. And like you quite rightly say, when it comes to, to type 1, because it's an autoimmune condition and your body attacks itself, mm. there is nothing that you can do. And there is no own cure that's what we're here for jdrf mm -hmm. and the best form of treatment is managing your type 1 diabetes by giving yourself insulin and for a number of for when i was first diagnosed i was on two injections a day and that was four injections a day and now because of as i mentioned at the start technology i'm very fortunate that i've got an insulin pump so that's a still giving myself insulin but under a different regime so um so yeah and that's one of the things actually that hasn't changed over the years is the misconception around type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes i think now we're definitely talking about type 1 diabetes more mm -hmm. in the in the I see it's a lot it's more prevalent now in the media and in conversations but the misunderstanding between the two is is still there yeah, even amongst, as I say, we were chatting on before we started this chat, this interview. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I was confessing that um, I'm not sure entirely sure all my colleagues appreciate the difference, but they will do after after this. Um, tell us um, a little bit about the work of JDRF. I mean, clearly we understand very much the principles of funding yeah. research to look for prevention yeah. and cure, and. Um, but uh, tell us, tell, tell us a little bit about how you go about doing that, and 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 particularly what you do within that that process, Daniel. Okay, so within JDRF as an organisation in the UK, I actually work in the HR team. So whilst I'm not directly involved in our fundraising team or our research partnerships team or our communications team, I do play a part in terms of making sure that. Along with my manager, I'll throw that in there. It's not just me, it's my manager mm. as well. Making sure that the organisation is functioning well. And where the actual work that we do, so we've got um, our community engagement team. So that team is out in the type 1 diabetes community, talking to people who live with type 1. If people living with type 1 have a, any, a, a question or any issues and they can contact the community engagement team. That team's also engaging with uh, healthcare professionals and making sure that type one is being spoken about. What well, is it being spoken about? But there's there's a voice there for people with type one diabetes. 
We've got our research communications and our research partnerships team. So our research communications team looks at all the research that is around type 1 diabetes, digests that information, and then spreads that information, the research findings in um, within the, the community to say, actually, this is what's going on. We've got our research partnerships team who look at different ways of more money coming into funding type 1 diabetes research and actually looking at organisations working together. We've got, again, uh, our fundraising team who put on events, um, including discovery days. So those events are about the information days where if you're newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, if you've been living with type 1 diabetes for 20 years, 30 years, you can come along to those events, learn more about type 1 diabetes. And it's almost like a a peer-to-peer support event in a, in a way so you get to meet others living with type one and that's they're they're great events because particularly for me because i work in hr when i get to go to those events and actually speak to people in the community who our work directly involve um supports and helps it's really rewarding because i don't always get to have those those conversations so those events are are great and everything that we do is focused around funding research to find a cure for. for I can tell you, Daniel, as a parent, that um, I remember those community events and that support network when you're the parent of a Mm. a child recently diagnosed, to have a network of people who understand that. You know, even planning things like sleepovers, (laughs) you know, basic things. You know, it's very hard to go to another to a parent of a child who doesn't have diabetes have your son in my case stay over and and you can't expect that person to get up at midnight and three o'clock in the morning and check the levels of their child and and make sure an injection is administered that's asking an awful lot of another parent so just little practical things like that i recall very much the 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 value uh, i remember we went on a couple of of um, like camps and day events and um, things like that and it's not that you just you want specifically to to just spend your time with, with no one but people with diabetes, but to know that you have that network of yeah. people who are always there to help you going through the same thing. That mattered yeah. to me as much as, as a parent mm-hmm. as it did, I think, for my son, <laughs> who obviously yeah. was also making a huge amount of, 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 of friends through it. But But for parents, I recall that was just invaluable. It's nice when people just get it mm. and you, you you can just talk about the frustrations of life that comes with a type 1 diabetes diagnosis because you do experience those frustrations whether you're the person with type 1 or in your case a parent of a child with type 1 you do experience those frustrations and all these different emotions going on on any given any given day yeah, no, I appreciate that. Now, a lot of people may not know, actually, that there, there are a few cricketers um, who have uh, been tight one. The, for the top of the list might surprise a few people, Wazim Akram. Um, although he actually was diagnosed when he was 30, which is, uh, I think if I'm right, Daniel, that's that's comparatively late. Uh, most uh, type 1 diabetes tends to be discovered in the first sort of between the ages of sort of 
5 and 15, am I right? So, y- yes, you are in terms of it, people with type 1 diabetes tend to be diagnosed at a younger age, but you can be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at mm. any age. So, so yeah. Well, so, with Wazim Akram, I think... Um, Craig Cumming, Craig McMillan, Dirk Wellham. Have you worked with Dan, uh, Daniel uh, during your work with JDRF? Have you worked with other, have you with with any famous sports folk? <laughs> so I know that in terms of um, the list that you put together, we have indirectly worked with Wazim Akram. Sorry, he um, he attended Sir Ian Botham's 60th birthday party, which was in yeah. the aid of JDRF. Well, because and, Ian, Ian Botham's daughter, Becky, is yes. type 1, isn't she? He's got yeah. type 1, yes. Um, and I've met her as well, and she, she's she's coming to the office. And Oh, yeah, fantastic. Really, Yeah, really, really nice woman. And um, so in that instance, yes, we've worked with Wazim Macron because he, he, he attended uh, Ian Botham's birthday party. Um, but with the others, we haven't worked with any of those, but we'd love to. Uh, in terms of famous sports people, particularly within the type 1 diabetes community, there's uh, somebody who I've worked with is Chris Bright. Mm-hmm. So um, he's an international futsal player for for Wales. Um, and he, he started off as uh, semi-professional football and has worked his way up to to representing Wales at the international international futsal level and I, I spoke to him once I interviewed him and it was it was a really inspiring journey to hear how the challenges that he overcame even with type one to get to the level where he is at now and how actually he's wanting to give back to the community um, and he set up something called the Diabetes Football Community. So, um, I, so yeah. I mean, one of the things I've noticed is, you know, what's the buzz? The buzzword these days is all about content, isn't it? But, but you, that's to call it resources rather than content. You, yeah. you, you do provide a lot of help in the form of uh, videos and written stuff that really helps people in, uh, you know, people like my son, in terms of playing sport and managing yeah. playing sport. You know. I remember football trips and cricket matches where, where if you're having to manage your blood glucose levels <laughs> yeah. as a as a ten year old or eleven year old, that that again takes an awful lot of doing. Um, yes. Gary Mabbott, you might remember Gary Mabbott. Yes, he I was do a tremendous remember. support. You probably met him during the course because I think he's done a lot of work for JDR. He he was tremendously supportive to my lad and yeah. sent him a couple of notes and encouraged him along and stuff. Yes. So yes. Always appreciative of that. Yeah, I remember Gary Mabbott from my um, diagnosis story. So, um, as we discussed before we started, I'm an Arsenal fan. So, <laughs> ten-year-old me, <laughs> when I was diagnosed, everyone was telling me, "Oh, Gary Mabbott's got type one. He's got type one," and I didn't understand what the type the connection with type one. I just saw Arsenal, Tottenham. And oh, right. for any <laughs> listeners, yeah. So if any um, listeners, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Arsenal and Tottenham are, are rivals. So there were people telling me, this player from your rivals has got something like you, you know, that that's that's great. And 10-year-old me couldn't quite understand because mm. just this is Arsenal Tottenham. So um that's something that kind of sticks out from um my my memory. And one another, sorry, it's just come to my mind. We've also worked with Novo. 
Nordisk and yes, their, yes. Di- their diabetes cycling team. In particular, there's a cyclist who comes the name which comes to mind is Sam Brand. And um so yeah, he's he's helped he's helped us out with a uh, with a lot of events as well. And with Novo Nordisk and the diabetes um cycling team, basically everyone on that cycling team has type one diabetes. And wow. it's the first professional cycling team which has all members are living with type 1 diabetes and I think that's inspirational to the diabetes community as a whole. That is magnificently inspirational. Now now, Daniel you um, I was thinking how professional you've been it's like you've almost like you've done this before and then you, I realise you have <laughs> so you run you run your own you've got your own podcast which I think is called Talking Type 1 am I right? Yeah. yeah Tell yeah, us a little bit about that and some of the guests you've had on so um yes i've i've kind of done this before so um i've got um the talking type one podcast and basically as i mentioned i've been living with type one diabetes for a number of years and i became more i've become more active in the diabetes community over the past two two years and i've always i've been i i can express myself better verbally and I always wanted to give back um, because I feel that the kind of journey that I've been on, the experience that I've I've had living with type 1 diabetes, I can give back. But also, not just from my experience, but share other people's stories and journeys as well. Because there were many times when I was living with type, many times even with type 1, where I felt quite lonely. And it would have been nice to know that other people are going through what I'm going through. And so that was kind of the why to start in the podcast was, yeah, give, give, back to, give back to the community, share other people's stories. And I think that I work at JDRF. I also do my own stuff in the diabetes community and I have access to different voices and different stories and really trying to merge my two worlds together and some of the guests that I've had on so I mentioned I've had Chris Bright on I've had um, a guy called Tom Allison who's a diabetes online health coach and we I spoke to him about diabetes exercising with type 1 diabetes had um, another guest Paul Pritchard who's been living with type 1 diabetes for 47 years uh, I've spoken to parents of children living with type 1 diabetes some um, recently his, his his son was diagnosed at 11 months old but what I really want to do in the podcast is share all these different stories and all these different experiences to help at least one person out there so that's the real motivation is that there's so many stories out there so many areas of expertise that yes I can tap into share that with somebody else who, who might benefit from it so um so yeah i i really like the, the whole podcast format and just having that one-on-one conversation and an interview because everyone's stories journeys are so unique and i've learned something from every single interview that i've i've done and it's been very rewarding for me and well, very just insightful I guess we can find that on 
Podbean, iTunes, uh, Spotify, and all usual podcast providers, can we? Yes, yeah. <laughs> just search just search for the Talking Type One, the Talking. One to Digit podcast. And yeah, all your all your favorite your yeah, your favorite podcast app. I have li- I'd have listened to a couple. So that's there. So Daniel, it's been interesting and a delight to chat to you. Um as, as I said, our final of the Dickwell Abroad Alzat Trophy, the crunch game. It's all come to this. Hendo uh, and his uh, fat lads, if we can drag them away from the Sunday lunchtime buffet. And uh, my making a spectacle team, if they can stumble and bumble their way as far as Trent Bridge, which is the imaginary stadium we've been playing our <laughs> lockdown tournament in, just to make it easy for us so we don't have to keep you know, putting in bits of commentary as we make it, literally make it up as we go along, frankly. Um, but that takes place at... 1 p.m. this Sunday. Do please listen and join us. Tweet, Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're everywhere. Our Just Giving page, it will appear on a caption, uh, if the bear does his job right, um, after uh, at the end of, of this. But it's uh, if you Google Just Giving Dick Well Abroad, then you will find that page. It's also all over our social media. I'm going to leave the last word with Daniel. Daniel, um, one final message for our viewers, fans, listeners, and friends from you to them. What, 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 what would you like to say to them? I'd like to say, firstly, enjoy the final. <laughs> I'm sure it will be a good final. And secondly, if you are able to support JDRF, then please do, because the work that we do is invaluable. I've not touched on it but actually me starting to work at JDRF came at a real crunch time in my life and when I said that I went through those struggles during my teenage years up until my 20s it was starting to work at JDRF that made a huge change and difference to 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 my life and I can just really sing sing the praises of the work that we do and I'm just one person but there are so many other people out there who are living with type one who have been helped by the work of of JDRF so if you are able to to help then then please do because you're you're not only helping people now but you'll be helping people in in the future as well and it's one step closer to us finding the cure for type 1 diabetes well, thank you for that. Thank you for your work. And thank you for being our guest today. We will see you uh, on, or he, on Sunday at 1pm. We're looking forward to that. Once again, Daniel, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.